Hi everybody, welcome to the Raptor Show. I uh, forgot to say my name last time. Uh, you know, my, my name is Alex Wong. You know, as you can tell, I'm just bursting with excitement this week uh, as Will continues to vacation on the Amalfi Coast and then I'm putting in my hours here for uh, my beloved company, Sportsnet. Uh, you know, we continue to await the start of the Raptors season, which is coming October 19th. But more importantly, the Raptors show is back on air October 17th, 2 to 3 p.m. Make sure you follow us on Twitter as well at our new account at the Raptors show. Uh, today, I have a, a dear friend uh, of mine and, and, you know, one of the few people whose basketball opinions I actually respect. Uh, one part of the scores pound the rock. Senior writer of the score, Joseph Cacharo. Did, did I get any of that right, Cash? The senior writer's fine. It's all good. Doing okay. my thing at the score. Um, yeah. Happy to be happy to be on the Raptors show. It's still called the Raptors show in podcast form, right? Or is there like yeah. another name? All right. Happy to be yeah. on the Raptors show. Happy to be here with you while Will vacations uh, in the, mother, the family motherland of mine. Yeah, and, no, for uh, sure. For excited, sure. No. Excited to talk raptors and whatever other topics you've got prepared for us today yeah yeah no I sounded sarcastic it. the way i said that but i promise i meant it no no i really appreciate <laughs> it you know we, we can also you know shout out to the queen nicole first of all um and, you know you can <laughs> stop you can stop listening now um you know the rest is actually just basketball you know may, maybe during the season we can we, we can have an on-air debate uh about you know uh, which uh italian food is better you know taverniti versus loblaws um, you know, I think that would be a really good debate, uh, you know, during the dog days of the regular yeah, season. You're all, what, you're all in on those Loblaws uh, arancinis, those Loblaws rice balls. <laughs> took the, last, was it last summer? Took this guy for a good Italian meal. We ordered arancini, uh, rice balls for those uninitiated. And Alex's first response was, yo, I get these at Loblaws. <laughs> no, no. So first of all, you're underselling the dinner. It was, it was more than a good dinner. It, it was a wonderful dinner that, that we had at Tavernides in in little italy and i believe like two days later i sent you those rice balls from loblaws that's right and, and, and asked if it was okay and, and you know you you are a huge uh you know the your heritage is a huge source of pride and you, you know you were very upset at me but but you know I, I respect i respect how much you know you you represent uh you know just that italian culture um every single day yeah, I'd say in a tasteful way, though, not in a Woodbridge wish. Sorry, apologies to any of uh, any of your listeners who are from Woodbridge. But, oh, you know, you guys, everyone knows what I mean. Everyone knows. What yeah, I mean. me as well, because I grew up in uh, in Markham. So I heard all the Woodbridge references. Uh, well, we're going to get to basketball soon. As, as you can tell, I'm not really in the mood, but, you know, we'll do it. Contractually obligated. Just popping open a, a Red Bull uh, watermelon right now, courtesy of our friend Ashkan Rahimi. Um, so really appreciate that, Ash. All right. So topics today, uh, you know, cash has to run in about an hour and a half. So unfortunately we're going to have to save our banter pod with him, uh, for, for during the season, but we're definitely going to make that happen. Going to go through best save case the banter pod for when Will, when Will's here too. I'm going to banter with you guys, you know? Oh my God. That's gonna, that's going to be legendary. You know, someone on IG yesterday messaged and was like, like, you guys need to have cash on more. I got to hear about how you met cash in the first place. Uh, first of all, yeah, well, that, let's do that. Let's do that in a banter pod. No, we have to, with, we have with to Will, with Will in the mix too. Yeah, no, we're going to save that. Cause like me and you and you and Will, like 
we have uh i think like different dynamics and backstories yeah. as well we which, which i think sure. yeah people will be really interested in and somehow you know friend of the program mark savell uh is is actually involved in all of it and but yeah you know to, to people saying why isn't cash on on air more you know joining us uh the reason is because he has his own uh you know thriving full-time job and it's actually <laughs> really hard to book those people on a more than occasional basis and that's really the only reason why cash isn't on as, as much as i think some of the people want well i appreciate i appreciate the love from the people and i appreciate the demand but yeah it is obviously tough to uh, when you do have the full-time job that is in basketball media as well to uh you know carve out time and you know obviously when i when i'm coming on the raptors show i want to i want to put some effort into it you know i want to <laughs> want it to be good so yeah can't just like- be hopping on willy-nilly when i've only got like five <laughs> minutes to spare it's gonna be like a day like today when i can actually give you give you some time so. Yeah, not like Joe Wolfon who shows up to the studio and uh, you know the show is on and he's like, oh, where's the washroom? I'm gonna need five <laughs> minutes before I give my take on Thaddeus Young. So uh, thanks for nothing, Joe Wolfon. Um, now that we've alienated everybody in uh, in basketball media, uh, in our group chat, and, and also everyone in Woodbridge, you know, I think it's time. Uh, for us to actually chat about ball. So I thought today we'd go through best case, worst case scenario for the Raptors because I think there's a lot of optimism about this team coming into the season and I want to hear both sides yeah. uh, from you, Cash. And then we're going to each have five biggest questions of this NBA season, uh, which we're going to talk about. Uh, so we'll expand beyond just the Raptors because I, I like to remind the fans, you know, there are 29 other teams out there. Uh, but first... We got to service the audience. So the Toronto Raptors, you know, um, lots of optimism, like I mentioned, coming into this season. I think the fan base especially has very high expectations. And I think it's fair. I think it's fair. I think the Raptors showed us a lot in the second half of last season. And, you know, if you look at the internal development, that's possible for players starting with Scotty Barnes. You know, you can see a pathway to them becoming, uh, you know, one of the top teams in the East this season. So I thought I'd hit you with the best case scenario. What I did was I wrote down five things for the best case scenario and worst case scenario. And maybe we can use those to discuss. Um, So best case scenario for the Raptors for me, number one, they are a top five defense in the league. Number two, all their core players have great seasons. So I'm talking about Pascal is a top 15 player. Scotty makes another leap and Fred is an all-star once again. Number three, the supporting cast, there are also a few pleasant surprises among them. Amongst them, maybe OG Ananobi takes another step. Talking about Gary Trent Jr., Precious Achua. Number four, one of the bench guys, maybe a Malachi Flynn, really steps up and entrenches himself in the rotation. And uh, finally, the Raptors, as a result, win 50-plus games and are a top-four seed in the Eastern Conference. Of all of those things that I said, Cash, uh, which jumps out to you in terms of most realistic and which jumps out to you in terms of, I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, listen, the, the last thing you said there, them winning 50 plus and finishing with a top four seed in the East, I'd say that's the most, well, I mean, a few of the things you said there are realistic, but the reason I'd pick that out is because I would say if the exercise is like best case scenario, then I don't think you went far enough. Okay. Because- okay. If you really think about it, they won 48 games and they were in fifth last year, right? Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. can they win a few more games and jump up one more spot? I think they can, Uh, you know, whether I would actually say that's the most likely thing or not, I don't know. But 
if we're talking best case scenario, I do think the bar has to be higher. Like best case scenario to me is like literally the most, like the absolute most you can get out of this team. Now, again, it, it doesn't have to be likely. So for me, when I think best case scenario, I'm thinking like, well, best case scenario is Siakam. Okay, maybe he's not top five the way he says he wants to be, but best case scenario to me is like, this is Siakam's career year, you know? Um, and he looks like the undoubted number one on a, you know, fringe contender, if any, like maybe. And while he's doing that, Scotty takes, you know, a big year to leap. And while they're both doing that, Fred is still an all-star, like you said. And while all those guys are doing that, Precious conti- like continues on this really like stark upward trajectory that he had late last year. And, you know, he looked early in that first preseason game. Like to me, if we're talking best, best case scenario of what is technically possible for all these guys individually, collectively as a team, those are the kinds of things I'm thinking of. And if I'm thinking from a team perspective, like absolute, like everything goes right, which is best case scenario to me, this team can be in the East finals and maybe even threatening to win the East. Again, not saying that's the likely outcome, but to me, that is the best case scenario because I think they put themselves in a position after last year with just the internal growth you can expect from year to year, given like where in their careers a lot of these guys are. And then also when you consider just how much more sure of themselves they are. And I don't mean like even just a confidence level. I mean literally sure of who they are identity-wise coming into this season compared to last when no one really knew what Scotty was going to be coming into last year. No one really knew what that team was going to be with like a length, but no true big man. And where are they going to get their shot creation from? Siaka missing the first month of the season, then getting COVID again and like not really picking it up till January. I just think when you look at what they did last year, look at the identity they have now, the room for internal growth and the continuity. They were, they've were they got more returning minutes from last year's team than any team in the league. The way they can hit the ground running compared to last year, I do think the best case scenario is actually a lot higher than even you are giving them credit for. And I know like, you know, you're not at all a Raptors pessimist. So um, I'm not at all trying to say you're not being optimistic. I'm just more so saying in general, I don't know if people are being optimistic enough about this Raptors team when they talk about the actual ceiling. Yeah, well, you know, you have to consider the Alex math here. You know, I put in a lot of protections with the way that I, uh, you know, came with that. 50 plus to me, you know, is, is a range between 51 uh, to 59. Fair and, enough. And, uh, and top four seed for me is between one to four. No, I, I totally, I totally get your point. Um, you know, I think, I think when you think about best case scenario, like I've said this in the summer too, like I'm not, I wouldn't be shocked if the Raptors were competing for the number one seed. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if they finished, like, number like number one. I think, obviously, again, we're talking best-case scenario. Yeah. But I really wouldn't be shocked if they finished, like, with the number two seed in the East or something like that. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, you know how Draymond coined, you know, 82-game uh, players and 16-game players, you know, comparing yeah. the regular season to playoffs. Um, to me, you know, there are also, like, 82-game teams and, like, 16-game teams. And the Raptors are built, in my opinion, as an 82-game team. Like, I just think... Given the talent on this team, given the continuity, given the way that they play, um, given the defense that's demanded of them from the coaching staff, and given the jumps like we mentioned that we're expecting from some of the players, you know, I I just think they're going to win a lot of games. Like, like I actually don't see a scenario, barring injuries and all the stuff that can derail a season, where they don't at least win like 45 to 48 games. Like, I I just feel like this team is that good. 
Um, so at, at the top end, yeah, no, no, I'm glad you challenged me on that. Like, like for me, like I went through the exercise of going through all 82 games during the regular uh, season schedule in the off season and had them winning like 54, 55 plus for me, I think would be a best case scenario. And, and to be honest, like I wouldn't be shocked if mid season that ESPN came here and did a whole feature on like the, the Raptors, you know, top eight, because they are like the number one seed in the East. It reminds me of that year. Remember when the Atlanta Hawks sent like four of their starters yeah to, they, to got, the they, they got game. they won 60 games that year yeah so like for me if you're looking for a and, recent comp yeah best case scenario that's my comp for the raptors man i i'd say that they could be okay not from a wins and losses perspective but i think even that hawks team almost undersells them because look as crazy good as that hawks team ended up being mm-hmm. Uh, no, I guess that's pretty good. I mean, they, they were won, a they, little they, they, they were a little Fugazi, but again, they, the Fugazi, the, the Fugazi came in, in the playoffs. Yes, right? Your point. And, that's what yeah. I was going to say. To your yeah. point, you did you did mention that about the eighty-two game, you know, team versus sixteen game team. The Hawks did get their asses swept in these mm-hmm. finals by LeBron's Cavs, but the, that team winning sixty games and even getting there was, you know, beyond a best case scenario for that team. So I definitely get what you're saying. I do like what you meant, uh, what you pointed out about the top five defense, too, because I do think that has to be in there for talking best case scenario. I think as the season went on last year, the defense did get better. And I think um, they ended up top 10 defensively. I think they ended up eighth or something in defensive efficiency. But I think for a, a good chunk of last season, their team defense was not what it could have been given the defensive abilities on the roster. And again, like all the continuity this year, knowing exactly what Nick Nurse wants to do, even though sometimes it does look like a high wire act with the amount of ground they have to cover and then recover. This is the year to me where like, they should be a top five defense. Like there's really no reason this team should not be top five defensively. And yeah, to your point, if they do that, while just, running an efficient enough offense, which, okay, shot creation issues might come up in the playoffs, whatever. but for the regular season, they have the goods to be a pretty efficient offense and an elite defense. And if you put those things together, and again, yes, you stay relatively healthy, whatever, you're going to pile up wins, um, especially with, you know, I think there's more depth this year. They, they are definitely built to win a lot of regular season games, which is going to be important, by the way, because just like last year, but even more so this year, the East is, again, a lot more competitive than you know previous generations of the east so the days of maybe like winning 42 games and being sixth are gone you probably do have to win 45 plus if you want to get in that top six and avoid the play-in yeah this is one of the things about adding the play-in tournament that i'm not sure if i love like i just feel like it's such a crunch at the top especially given the talent now like you mentioned across the league and especially in the east like it's going to be it's going to be a bloodbath to to get one of those top 6 spots like if you don't get off to a quick start uh to the season like you know i think the raptors going to find themselves in the same position as they did last year where they were spending the last few weeks of the season fighting the cavs and and those other teams just to get out of the play in and i think i think the raptors um probably recognize um just how important it is or even how important it is just to get like home court and have a better draw in the playoffs um, cause, cause I do think, you know, I can't believe I'm quoting Goran Dragic. Like, I do think they do have like higher ambitions yeah. this season in terms of not just having a really good regular season and being this feel good story and everybody talking about house money in the first round. I think concrete goals for them would be to win at least around the season. You talk about that top five defense. Is there a particular player that jumps out to you in terms of like, okay, like this is the guy 
that that can really make it happen because I know it's a very group effort type here in Toronto, but I'm looking at someone like Scotty who was kind of shaky on the defensive end at times last season as a rookie. Like I, I feel like he could be the difference between this team really taking a next step to being a really consistently good defense. He could, but I'll be honest. I think the two bigger components of it, it different from last year will be Siakam being what he can be defensively for the whole season or close to it. Whereas last year, you know, he didn't really start go- getting going till January. And I'd say he, his defense didn't really get back to his like fully frenetic disruptive self till even later than that. If he is, you know, peak Sa- Pascal Siakam defensively from the jump this year, I think that's a big difference. And I also think a whole year of this version of precious Achua, who's actually getting, you know, a lot of minutes from the start of the season, um, even in terms of just his positional versatility defensively and like what he can do against guards and, and inside, I think full season of, you know, a more in the mix precious and a full season of hopefully healthy Siakam. To me, I get what you're saying about Scotty. And I think people obviously want to see him get better defensively all around, but I think Siakam and precious will actually be, if the Raptors are going to take a bigger defensive leap, I think it'll be because of those guys' presence in the lineup start to finish than more so than like Scotty's uh, development year to year. Yeah, guys, just listen to what Cash says and basically ignore <laughs> everything that I say. Yeah. I kind of you know just throw stuff out there. Uh, on that note, if I could play uh, Silver's Advocate rather than Devil's Advocate. Oh your... my God, did you just invent this one? I don't know how I feel about this. Uh, whether uh, On your point about you know why you don't like the playing and because of the way it becomes like a dogfight at top. I guess that like the, for real though, like the league's counter to that would be like, well, no, but that's exactly the point, right? It's not just about giving teams at the bottom a chance for longer. It's also about giving teams at the top something to still play for later in the season rather than, you know, resting everybody because they've already got a spot clinched up before. If you're like the third seed and a few games up or like 10 games up on eighth and ninth, you're not really putting any effort into that last few weeks of the season. Whereas now you're the third seed, but you're only maybe two and a half or three games clear a seventh in a jumbled conference. You're going to play your asses off still those last couple of weeks. So uh, I did just want to mention that. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe I can play Mark Tatum advocate, um, you know, Tatum's advocate over here. Uh, shouts to the deputy commissioner. I think the one problem I have with the play in is in a season where, you know, the seventh and eighth seed are clearly better than a ninth and 10th seed. Yeah. And to be honest, I can't remember the standings last year. You know, I know the East was pretty bunched up. Like, you know, I think there was some separation in the West um, between seven to 10. Like, I just think, you know, it's, it's punishing for a seventh or eighth seed to have to go on a scenario where they basically have two chances to, to win one game. So, so I, I just want them to add in some caveats in there because I don't want to be in a situation where a ninth seed or a tenth seed, like you mentioned, like if they are below 500 and, and not really a playoff pedigree team, for them to just be able to have two really good games and, and you know erase a really good regular season by a seventh or eighth seed, I think that's the part that I really have a problem with. No, I completely agree with you. And I, that's why I actually liked, if you remember the first year they did the mini play-in just for the nine, not for the 10, um, the year when the pandemic first shut down the season and they had to replay in the bubble, restart in the bubble. If you remember that year, they actually did do it where it's like, we're going to give the nine, because the, the teams don't have as long a runway to make up, they don't have the full 82 games. We're going to give the ninth seed a chance to play their way in, but only if they're within this many games of the eight seed. And I actually think that's the perfect way to do it. So it's like you have the play in baked in, but at the same time, if 
if the 10 seed for whatever reason you know finishes 11 games back of eight they do not deserve to get a chance to play in yeah no i like that i i think in general and and the league would never go to this rule but i think if you're just below 500 you should not make the playoffs like like if like if there's a season where the eastern conference only has like six um, you know, above 500 teams, then they just got to figure out the format. Maybe the yeah. top two seats just get a first round buy and the other two teams just like play it out or something like that. Because, yeah. I mean, you know this, like you've watched basketball for long enough too. Like there's just been years where there's been a lot of bad teams who, who make the playoffs and then don't even deserve to be in that first round series. And and that takes me to my other thing. I didn't know we were getting into rearranging the whole league, but <laughs> You know, I'm happy. I'm happy to follow the spicy meatballs uh, lead. You know, I, I feel, this is a dream come true right now. You know, I feel like I'm on an episode of Pound the Rock, um, which you've just, been many times, by the oh, way. Oh, oh, saying, yeah, sounds like a dream come true, as if we've never. You've been on it like four times. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. I really appreciate that. No, but that takes me to like the first round should go back to a best of five as well. I um, that's that. I, I actually feel very strongly about that you know you know the uh, baseball season is about to go into the playoffs and one of the most exciting things uh about, about the uh, baseball playoffs is that divisional series when it's just five games and like every game matters and obviously they've introduced the wild card series now which is just going to be a best of three but like for me like the first round is often just like you know there's no excitement to it at all like everybody's just looking ahead and you know usually it goes chalk like once in a while you have you'll have these all-time upsets like golden state taking down dirk nowitzki and the mavs and all that stuff but it's like generally things just go chalk because over a seven game series there's not it's not really a stress test for for the favorite whereas a best of five if that road team comes in and upsets you game one yeah um, you're in trouble as every team basically did to the Raptors during yeah. the last decade, like you, you are under the gun right away. So that's actually, if you were asked me to make one rule change, like that's what I want. But again, I get it revenue um, and all that stuff. And, you know, I sometimes support capitalism as well. So uh, <laughs> I guess uh, shouts to the NBA. And I guess, I mean, look, selfishly, I guess more NBA ball isn't a bad thing for us either. But do you want that though? Because when it's not the best, when it's not no, the I, best listen, ball, I, no, I, you want to watch, you want to no. watch when like, you know, a Dude. two seed is up three, one on the seventh I, seed. No, man, listen, if we're talking, you know, you're talking to someone who loves NBA ball as much as anyone on the planet. And yet yeah. my dream, my dream for the NBA, which would never happen, obviously for revenue purposes, even me who loves NBA ball the way I do, my dream for the NBA would be, you do a 58 game season, no conferences, Soccer style where every single team, so all 30 teams play the other 29 teams twice each, home and away, once every season. So every team comes in, you visit every team, but it's once. You play 58 games, no back-to-backs, quality is that much better. The impact of every game is so much better, obviously, because every game means something. No conferences, and then you just 1-16 to at the end. At at the end of those 58 games, top 16 make the playoffs. And in in my NBA, the first round would be a best of five. Um, so no, I get it. Like I completely agree with you. Less it might would be more from a quality standpoint, from the teams that are getting in. But again, revenue like look at the way the league is going, and I get it from a financial perspective, is more teams making the playoffs, right? Like uh, you know, more games because when you get the play on in there, some teams are playing like 84 games by the end of the season. Forget 58. So as much as I agree with you, and we are both on the side of like less is more from a quality perspective and the best team should be in and blah, blah, blah. Like they're just, they're never going that route given the amount of money 
they're making on the extra games, given the new TV and streaming deals that are probably coming in a couple years. Like they're not taking games off the docket. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's, it's, it's wild to see just the jump in the salaries even in our lifetime Dude. like I'm, I'm even thinking about the last five years like remember when pascal signed his contract and sure there was some questions then about how he was going to develop and i think those questions have gone away now but him on a 30 million dollar a year uh deal was a huge thing right that was yeah. a near max contract now it's and, tyler hero money no but that's what i'm saying now it's like oh cj mccollum who you know is a good enough player you know fine enough like here's a two-year 64 million dollar yeah extension um well so it's, it's it's wild to me to think about that stuff too. pascal siakam makes all nba one of the next two seasons and watch what that contract looks like when he because he, he'll be super max eligible oh yeah well i think pascal at this point if he continues this level you know having made the all nba team last yeah. year and i'm expecting him to make at least another all-star team like i mean that's a 40 million dollar player in today's nba yeah yeah so and that's not even a max number like that's not even close. I think. Well, he'll, to a I mean, again, he'll he needs one NBA All NBA selection either this year, and then he can get the uh, extension right away, or waits it, like if he doesn't get it this year, but then get it to the next year after that, he'd be eligible the summer after that. But I mean, I think he's he's going to contend to be an All NBA player again this year, and if he is, you know, we're talking best case scenario. That means uh, uh, a huge new five year contract for Siakam. Yeah, Next we'll make that. Well, that would okay. be like, okay, you know, well, two, two to two hundred fifty million, maybe more. Actually, like I'd have to look into the actual numbers, but for for his service time, he'd be eligible for the not even just regular max with his own team, like a super max, because he would have checked the boxes. Yeah, no, always happy when other people are able able to acquire generational wealth as well. Um, you know, we're we're definitely gonna make the push for for Pascal to make All NBA and you know line line his pockets up a little bit more. Um, shout out to his brother Christian too. Uh, I saw he got hired by Raptors nine hundred five uh, to be part of the coaching staff. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I think you know it'd be cool if if uh, you know we're really veering off on a tangent. Um, yeah. You know, because apparently you're just not here to, to hear my best case worst case scenario. I, guess, <laughs> I didn't really, I didn't really put too much effort into this. I woke up at like ten today, made some notes, uh, but like. Man, like imagine if uh, sports media had like an all NBA team with clauses in it. That'd wow. be hilarious. Yeah. That would be hilarious. Like it triggers like bonuses in our contracts. Yeah, like you get a certain amount of views on a YouTube video or like you you have to do, have a certain amount of number of pieces or like yeah. whatever. Or whatever you like, the... vote it or, you're, or there's like a voting process. Wow, like, imagine know, a voting. Pro- Yo, <laughs> you know, listen, if we're going to do a banter pod with me, you and Will, we should select the all the all oh, uh, man the, I'm all, not, no we, we can't, can't do that we can't I'll do that offend. i can't offend i'll do it i'll do it in the group chat with you though all right um, sounds good i'll, I'll definitely right. do that in the group chat um so yeah that's my best before i move on from the best case scenario you know let's assume you know i'm gonna i'm gonna say pascal scotty and fred are kind of the quote-unquote big three for me in terms of the drivers of, of winning for this raptors team outside of those three if you were to pick an x factor kind of the player that it'll really take off to to you know put the raptors in this best case scenario which player are you looking at on this roster it's got to be precious it's got to okay. be precious damn um, i'm surprised you didn't say og no because og is the answer every year and like i'm at the point with og where listen i'm not even i am not crapping on what og did. like i think og yeah, shout out to mj brown yeah. is is a very very like he's a very good nba player an absolutely phenomenal defensive player who can shoot who can do a little bit, you know, offensively, still like off the dribble here and there. He'll show you some flashes, but at other times it looks really awkward. But 
when I say like I'm at the point where I'm just expecting what he is, I'm not even throwing shade on him. Like he's a good NBA player and he's very important to this team. But at a certain point in a guy's career, I'm not saying they can't continue to develop later on, but like at a certain point, a guy is who he is. And with OG, I'd love to be proven wrong. Maybe he does just explode this year, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think he is what he is. And that's a very good player that the Raptors very much need. But if we're talking about a player who's an X factor that can, I think not just can, but is going to blow some people away this year in terms of what they can do and what people start perceiving their ceiling to be, it's Precious Achua. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm i with you on that. I think a lot of people are very high on Precious. And I just wanted to ask you about OG just to get a reaction out of you. Um, <laughs> and no, I'm with you though. I think, I think OG is a type of player where at some point, you know, you're going to realize that there's a ceiling with him. Not to yeah. say that there isn't still improvement for, for him, but, you know, this is what happens to players who come into the league. And after four or five years, you start to find out what they can and what they can't do. And in the first couple of seasons, you know, you can, you know, run with your wildest imaginations in terms of what the ceiling of that player can be. And at some point, you have to be realistic about it. Um, you know, I would love if OG, you know, took another leap. But like, I don't even know what that means. Because to me, it's like, I think the most impact he can have is going to be on the defensive end. And I'm not sure there's enough touches for him on the offensive end for him to, to you know, really be that, you know, focal point. And we saw what happened when he was the focal point. Like, the results were very mixed. So, you know, I, I think... I think when you add it all up, it is, it is you know, it is hard to just say OG again um, because, I, I, you know, I feel like I feel like the ceiling maybe just isn't that high there compared to someone uh, like Precious. Uh, I, I, I am hoping for Malachi uh, Flynn to, to have a career year this year as well. I just, you know, just feel like he's really struggled trying to find a role on this team. And, and you know, this, this, is, this, this has got to be the year where he just, like, figures it out. Like, please. That'd be great. I mean, it'd be, and it'd be great for their bench and great for Fred <laughs> if, if Malachi does figure it out and becomes a legitimate just NBA rotation player this year. Yeah, by the way, you know, you weren't at uh, Raptors Media Day uh, because, you know, that's beneath you at this point. Um, and, um, Sorry, you know, I, was, I was covering uh, other teams that day in my role yeah. as, an N, as an NBA feature writer. Yeah, J- uh, Josh Sue from Raptors PR, if you're listening, just go ahead and um, just take away wow. uh, Cash's credential. Nope. You know, I'll be there. I'll be, I'll, be in the, <laughs> I'll be in the visiting locker rooms every home game as I usually am. Please no, no, do no, not. No, no. no Joe, Joe Cash got credentials, man, on, on his chest and in the streets. Um, but what was I, I can't, man, I keep going on tangents with you, man. I Worst can't, case can't, scenario. I don't know what, what were you about to say? Can we, can we just like not talk about basketball anymore, man? I just, you know, I, I can't, you know, I can only pretend for so long. Um, I actually, I, I completely forgot my point. If it comes back to me, whatever, go Malachi Flynn, I think was what I was going to say. Um, so worst case, okay. Worst case scenario for this team is, um, you know, really just the other side of the coin for everything that I just said, like Pascal doesn't take another step. Fred struggles in the off-ball role. Uh, development isn't linear for Scotty. Other guys like OG and Gary are actually not happy with their role uh, because the team isn't winning. And some of the team's weaknesses, like you mentioned, the shot creation or even the lack of shooting on this roster at times, are exposed over the 82-game schedule. And the Raptors finish around like 43 to 45 wins. I mean, I'm not including injuries here because we all know injuries can right. derail a season, but we're not, gonna pre- yeah, we're not going to predict injuries here and be like, oh, three guys get hurt, so the Raptors are back in the lottery. Like, I'm not doing that. So, like, a healthy season, worst-case scenario, 
that's what I see, which isn't really that worst case of a scenario. You know, I think when you when you kind of maybe remove yourself from, you know, the immediacy of wanting this team to win right away, this is still another development year. Development can definitely come with winning, come with a 50-plus win team, but maybe it doesn't. So for yeah. me, that's the worst case scenario. Did I did I not go too far on this extreme as well? What do you think? <laughs> no, I, I think that's, look, I think the worst case scenario is there a play-in team that... Mm-hmm doesn't get in again worst case scenario but i will say given like where some of these guys are in their development that's still a pretty high worst case scenario like their floor is high yes um whether that is something to do with the continuity or like also the talent the stability the coaching under nick nurse like all of those things come into play here the floor is pretty high compared to most nba teams and so don't get me wrong, them finishing ninth or 10th and losing in the play-in would be very disappointing. But if that's your floor, you know, again, barring what you said about, you know, any team can be undone by like, God forbid, catastrophic injuries or something. But in in an average year, if that's your absolute floor, you're pretty good. And I think that is their floor. And to your point, I think what's so like, you know, the, the Raptors are in that, you know, part of the building phase right now where, again, it's not quite house money the way it was last year, but they're still in this good spot where it's like even their worst case scenario still involves like another year for Scotty and Precious, like, you know, to get back. Even if it's not as drastic as people want it to be, it's those guys getting another year of a lot of NBA minutes under their belt. And even if it ends up with them just being a playing team, that's still playing meaningful ball all year, which is important for guys in their development. And like worst case is like even Siakam and Fred, like how bad can they realistically, like even those guys, their floors are pretty high. We know like Nick Nurse coaching, like he's not going to lose what he's got up there. So the, the floor is high and they can be like at worst a ninth, 10th place team that's still playing meaningful ball every year with their young guys getting a little better. Like the worst case is like 500-ish with some really good young talent getting more experience and also having like a really good trove of assets to eventually make another move. Like in general, it's just a really good place to be. Now things change in pro sports and the NBA, you know, more than any other league very quickly. So by this time next year, we this team might not have any house money left. And for depending on what happens transaction-wise or this year, like a year from now, we might be talking about a lot of pressure being on them and them needing to do a certain thing to meet expectations. But for right now, at least I think for one more year, there's still a little bit of that house money left where even the worst case scenario when you think of the big picture isn't really that bad. And I think fans should kind of cherish that a little bit because... The, you know, the worst case scenario being your team loses like 68 games is, is a pretty dark place to be um, if, if the lottery doesn't hit right for you. So I do think they're still in a pretty good spot, even if they hit that worst case scenario. I feel like I just repeated myself three times. I feel like I just did the, have you ever seen the like people making fun of podcasts? Where it's like, <laughs> oh, oh, this is like the like, generic thing that, that every, yeah, every yeah, they podcaster just, like, does. Someone just finds a way to say the same thing three times in two minutes and the other guy is just going, yup. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like I just did that. Apologies. But I just can't stress it enough that no, I don't no. think their worst case scenario is that bad. And it's all in all a good place to be. No, don't worry, man. Raptor Show listeners well aware of, um, you know, the killing time king over here. You know, <laughs> when I need, I will repeat myself. Um, for for five to ten minutes and I think you bring up a really good point about how 
the Raptors are positioned really well moving forward. I know we're, we're focusing on, on the upcoming season, but, you know, it makes me think about, you know, all the Kevin Durant trade rumors during mm-hmm. the summer. There's a reason why, aside from the fact that the Raptors are a really talented young core, that the Raptors were at the top of those conversations because they have all these assets and because they have all their draft picks. And, and you know, for me, my one takeaway um, you know, aside from the fact that, you know, Joe Sai told KD, you know, talk to me when you make your first billion, um, you know, <laughs> you're showing up to work. I'm sorry. Um, it, it is that when that next star comes along and, you know, when that trade market does develop for whoever that next player is who is unhappy, the Raptors are going to be in the mix. Very and, much and, so. and, and, and if anything, like, I don't I know this sounds kind of arrogant, but it's almost on the Raptors to decide if they want to make the move. Yeah. Because I almost feel like they can be there as competitive as anyone else with their offers. Because Look, draft, man, picks, draft picks are so valued right now in, in this league to a point where I feel like it's just up to teams like the Raptors to be like, okay, like if we throw in whatever the max picks, like four picks and the pick swaps, we will outbeat, we will beat any offer that's out there. So like if the Raptors find the right player that they are interested in, they can put together as competitive a trade package as anyone else. Again, we're not having this conversation. This is more down the line. But to me, like that's another reason to be just optimistic about this team's future. I completely agree. Look, man, the pre- obviously there's other guys involved too, Precious, even the quote-unquote older guys who aren't that old, Siakam and Van Vliet and whatever. But the presence of Scotty Barnes changed so much from a future outlook perspective because his ceiling is that of the type of player that you build like it serves as the foundation of contending teams in the future. And that changed everything again. Like I said it, I think I said it on your show um, back in early summer. I've said it on pound the rock plenty of times. Like the reason even a guy like KD isn't someone you have to trade for is because the, the calculation changes when you've essentially got team control over a Scotty Barnes type talent for his, like until his age, you know, 27 ish seasons, once you, uh, after the rookie contract and second contract and everything like, and what his ceiling can be. If you've got team control of that guy, a guy that can realistically be like a top five type superstar at his best, you have a future to look forward to where like you should be in the championship mix year to year. And you do not have to make a move right now that disrupts that down the line because you have that to look forward to. Obviously, there are no guarantees in pro sports. We know that. But hit the presence of Barnes changed so much in what they're able to do, not just now, but in the future and how they can approach deals and how calculated they can be because they don't have to be as desperate as most teams that are hoping for a Scotty type talent. When it, you know, those teams are more desperate to make a move that brings in like a a talent like KD, obviously, even though he's a bit older, the Raptors didn't have to be that desperate because of the presence of Barnes. And they sure as hell weren't going to move him for a 33-year-old KD. So there's another rant for you. No, this is is what the the listeners want. And, and, you know, a little, you know, insider, you know, info for for all the Raptors show listeners. Like Cash and I had a very lengthy debate about whether to trade for KD and whether to include Scotty Barnes at the height of the rumors at uh, Super Fresh 
Oh, uh, it was, it was at Superfresh. Oh, yeah, Super yeah, Fresh. Shows, My bad. Yeah. Shows to Trevor. Yeah, we only go to two places. Um, you know, at, at Super <laughs> It was Fresh, after Hong Shing. I'm pretty sure it was one of our uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, one of our Super Fresh uh, after parties <laughs> following Hong Shing. That's yeah, right. we had a we had a you know healthy debate, and then you know we shook hands at the end, and uh, I believe as with every basketball conversation that we've ever had, I was like, yeah, you know what, you're right, Cash. Uh, we we <laughs> no, shouldn't trade Scotty Barnes <laughs> because again, like you, you trade a guy like you know a young talent whatever to put yourself in the championship mix whatever but if you believe you have a young talent that's gonna put you in the championship mix for a longer period of time in the future then you don't do it in my opinion and that's the difference here scotty actually is and like he can be that good we're not just talking about a regular young talent anyway gone off on a tangent here about scotty but that that it did change the equation for me, not just when it comes to KD, but in general with how calculated they can be when one of those stars comes up. I'm not saying, obviously, they will still be interested in any true superstar that comes up. You know, Scotty being here doesn't change that, but it does change how they go about it and whether they feel they need to make a move at a certain time. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think when that next superstar comes, and I mean, with the caveat that, you know, the, the KD offers were all low balls, like you would expect that the offer that you have to make for this next superstar who probably isn't on the KD level, you know, maybe the price isn't even that high. Uh, and, you know, maybe you're paying just like a portion of the cost that, that you know, Sean Marks and Josiah wanted for KD. And, you know, the Scotty point I know is very obvious, but, you know, for all the Raptor Show listeners, you know, how many of you, I know you're at your miserable nine to five job right now, just, just, you know, in your cubicle wondering why, you know, you know, back to work is in effect. Um, you know, I just want you to cl- close your eyes right now and, and just picture a scenario where, where the Raptors drafted, you know, Jalen Suggs instead, uh, because the conversations around this team would be totally different. And I know, and I know that because, you know, we're, we're daily show during the season and we have to dissect the Raptors every single way, you know, best case, worst case scenario, favorite storylines, predictions, all this stuff. Like all that matters is that, you know, the Raptors having Scotty, like you mentioned, you know, people always like, Oh, what's the path for the Raptors to get back to championship contention? Like they don't have Kawhi anymore. Like they need a superstar. Like, Scotty is the path. Like Scotty yeah. is the path to a championship. And you look at a lot of these young teams around the league who are trying to build. And I'm even talking about a team like, say, like Memphis, like as high as you are on like a John Moran or Jaron Jackson. Like if Scotty Barnes, you know, hits his best case scenario, like the Raptors are going to be a contender in the East for, like you mentioned, you know, as many years as he wants to stay here. Um, so, so I think like throw aside, you know, basically what I'm trying to say is forget about these 40 minutes that we just talked about. Um, all, all you need to know is that, you know, you just need to root for the best case scenario for Scotty Barnes, uh, because that will really open up the path for the Raptors to contend again. And I did remember the question I was going to ask you, uh, you know, when I had one of my many, uh, brain cramps. So, uh, I was, I was making fun of you for not being at media day. And I was oh, going right. to say, I was going to say that, uh, one of the things that Nick, uh, Nick said at his presser, and I'm sure you saw this, was that he where's is going. Oh. <laughs> Imagine. Okay, my bad. He's like, he's like, yo, where's the spicy meatball? I was like, oh, he's busy. He's busy with the Queen Nicole right now. No, um, he's busy covering so, other teams. Sorry, Nick. Yeah, he's uh, busy sun tanning on the rooftop of his condo right now. So uh, please don't bother him. Um, so uh, one of the things that he said was he wants to cut down on Fred's minutes. Mm-hmm. which um, I've been just kind of laughing at because I'm like, what, he's going to go from 37 to 35 minutes? Like, if if you were to predict, like, what do you think Fred's uh, minutes will end up at this season? Total minutes or per game? Yeah, per game, per game. So he was at? He was 30? 37, I, I want to say 37 and a half minutes in that you, range. So, you know, Siakam, in terms of minutes per game, actually, it was Siakam who led the league last year. 
I'm not surprised. I'm uh, not surprised. Fred, I think, might have been second or third. So Fred was 37.9. So Siakam okay. must, might have been, I guess, 38 something. But anyway, I mean, I think ideally if you can get that to like 35. But <laughs> but that's what I'm saying, though. You, there's no world where Fred plays 32 is all I'm saying. Like, I mean, listen, if Malachi Flynn bl- absolutely blows us away, which I would not yes. bet on, no disrespect. Yes. Like uh, Now... I guess there's different paths to get there, right? Like they talked about Scotty playing more point guard, like point forward, sure. whatever you want to call it, but taking more of the ball handling duties, like the offensive initiation duties. Siakam doing it more from the start of the season. Just even a, a, a jump from Malachi to rotation player. It doesn't have to be anything close to a star. If all of these things come together, I can see it. Yeah, it'll come down. And like, but no, 32 is too low. They need him to play more than that. And But the one thing I will say is, it's not just about the minutes. It's about like the burden within those minutes. Yes. Right? So yes. 37.9 minutes per game last year with a tremendous burden on his shoulders, especially mm-hmm. early in the season. If it's like 35, 36 this year, but with less ball handling, like, like a, even a slightly lesser burden with a couple less minutes per game, that will add up and like help him over the course of a season. So I would tell people to remember that too. It's not the, the number of minutes obviously matter for sure, but it's also like the burden on a player's shoulder within those minutes. And for the Raptors, they need to find a way to trim at least a couple minutes off those, you know, Fred games while also easing the burden on his shoulders. If they can do both those things, he'll be fresher come April and they desperately need him to be. Yeah. And, you know, I actually made the same point. Um, just to let you know that sometimes, you know, I have the correct basketball opinion as well. Um, you know, it, it, I compared it to kind of when I'm hosting the show like this uh, and doing an hour versus then when I show up in studio and book two guests for Will and I just sit there and nod. Like there's a difference between those two, uh, you know, 40 minutes. Right. Yeah. Um, so so you, you that, just, that's you, really the comparison. You just trying to figure out which wrestling theme songs fit which guests are coming? <laughs> which guests are coming in versus you having to, you know, plan, host, produce forty to eighty minutes of the pod? Very different. Very different. Yeah, now you're having to know how Fred feels. Me having to figure out the nearest washroom to bring Joe Wolf onto, so he can only miss two minutes of on air time. Uh, you know, just a really stressful scenario. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say uh, about the Raptors? I guess I've been having guests on um, these couple of weeks. I'm going to ask them for just their uh, Raptors prediction. Um, so just putting on the spot here, do you want to predict their win total? And if you have like one bold prediction, I know I didn't ask you for this, or so you don't have anything off top, it's all good. But but what what's your what's your win total prediction for this Raptors team? Fifty one. Okay. And a bold prediction. He he does not win. Don't get me wrong. I'm not do not take this and run like oh he said he's gonna win. No, but Pascal Siakam gets an MVP vote. Okay. Okay. I've said I've said this before. I know Pascal, there's a lot of conversations out there, and Pascal's brought them on himself of talking about wanting to be a top five player. And I think that's great. You know, players should always strive to, to be better. Uh, but I also like to be realistic. And, you know, I, I think there is some buzz about, oh, you know, if Pascal has, you know, continues building on the second half of last season, he's going to enter the MVP conversation. Listen, he's only going to be in that real MVP conversation if the Raptors are the number one seed in the East and like the biggest surprise in the NBA. If he's having a monster season and the Raptors are like fighting for a play-in or like a fourth seed even, he's not in that conversation. That's all I'm saying. 
but but I, I I like your bold prediction. I think I think you know we'll call up Howard Beck or, or Tim Bontemps and just tell him to like put um put Pascal on the ballot. How many do they submit? Like he he can just be like a top five, right? Like don't uh, they yeah. have to pick like yeah. five? Yeah, yeah, he gets a fifth place vote on <laughs> yeah. one of the hundred and twenty something wow. people that vote for it, and I'll be uh, taking my wow. victory laps when we this, talk in April. This is bolder than me going to Loblaws to get Italian food, man. Uh, All right. do you, I mean, do you want me to stick around for the second segment of the show or not? Wow, are you the first guest to threaten to leave? <laughs> what is this, man? Howard Stern right now? <laughs> this guy said I'm going to walk out, man. <laughs> oh, man. All right, second half of the segment. We're, we're, we're on the clock here because Cash is a really busy person. Um, so, you know, everybody should subscribe to Pound the Rock at The Score with uh, Joseph Cacharo and Joe Wolfon. They've been they've started doing uh, their own, you know, season preview content you know last week going through well how did you guys define it like the swing players right like the yeah, most yeah. important wolf on did a really great series um where he picked eight players it was over six different uh posts on the score app that you can find wolf usual awesome work and uh yeah swing players important players but basically eight players that their success or failure this year like might could, could define the season and will certainly define their team's seasons um so we did that uh the week before we did you know teams we think are gonna over and under perform against expectations uh over the next couple weeks we're gonna do a show dedicated to our picks for breakout players and then our you know whatever it is 10 15 bold predictions for the season after that yeah no i love that and uh, you know as you guys as as all consumers of, of nba season preview pods uh, no, you know, we just recycle the same seven or eight yeah. concepts. Yeah. And even within those concepts, you're going to get the same conversations. Um, so apologies, Cash, you know, you're probably going to have to repeat some of your takes All good. Um, on, on here today. Um, but, you know, yes. So so again, subscribe to Pound the Rock. Check out the Scores YouTube content. Is that enough promoting for you, man? Yeah, what else yeah you I think it's, the, it's the, the holy trinity when I promote it. It's da- make sure, you know, you've got the Score app downloaded and the Score bed uh, and then... Uh, Subscribe to Pound the Rock wherever you get your pod, wherever you get your podcast, not podcasts. Uh, <laughs> Pound the Rock podcast, a very it's a mouthful. And then uh, make sure you are subscribed and watching all of our content on the Scores YouTube channel because we've got a really cool, uh, creative team that we get together and and do what I think, if I can say so myself, is pretty good content on YouTube. So. Yeah, do all that or just listen to the Raptor show. It's your choice, guys. It's a <laughs> yeah. it's a free world. It's a free world. It's all I'm saying. You know, make make your choice. Make your choice. Um, but yeah, so you know, I had to kind of pick maybe one format that you guys weren't going to do. Uh, you know, and so we're gonna go through and and go through our biggest questions uh, uh, of this NBA season. Um, so we're gonna try to do ten combined. I'm sure there's gonna be some overlap. So you know, you being the guest, and apparently you've threatened to walk. Um, like, um, why don't you go first, Joe Cash? All right. Biggest question to me, and it's, I think, a very obvious one. There might even be some overlap here, but how many games do Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons play together? Because mm. I talked with the Raptors, you know, about how high that floor is and like the stability there. If we're talking about the difference between a ceiling and a floor, like the Nets are the exact opposite of the conversation we just had about the Raptors, where talent wise that you know their top three players if you get 70 games from kd 60 plus from kyrie and ben each and they're healthy going into the playoffs 
as much as we want, like, like to clown on this team, anyone who thinks that version of the team can't win a championship is just lying to themselves. They absolutely can't. Like, if they actually hit their best case scenario, that team's winning 60 plus games and definitely in the finals. Like, that's how good they can be. But again, in comparison to the Raptors, the floor is drastically lower, right? If Ben Simmons can't get out of his own head and plays not a lot of games and isn't like, doesn't play that well and KD for the third straight year can't stay healthy and Kyrie you know just continues to lose his mind um and plays 40 games and just like there's also a path here where the Nets are like the the ninth tenth place play in team lose one game and the season's over and the team gets blown up like the difference there is so stark and it all comes down to those three stars obviously but like Ben Simmons went from a very bad situation in terms of matching his skill set in Philly to you could not get a more perfect fit basketball wise. Like he's in a spot where his defensive contributions and his ability to get a team out and running and force turnovers and run in transition is desperately needed. And from his standpoint, the things he doesn't do as well, like isn't really need. Like he's playing with two of the most talented offensive players ever. His offensive initiation and certainly his offensive finishing isn't needed as much in Brooklyn as it ever was in Philly. Like if he just literally does the things he does well, really well in Brooklyn and those other two stars are healthy, that is a perfect, perfect complement of stars with a ton of shooting around them. They could be really good. But the flip side, like I said, is they're like a 40 win team that loses a play in game and is like the biggest disappointment ever, you know, or at least since last year's nets, <laughs> Um, so I'm like everyone, very curious to see how that works. I would not bet on trusting those three stars. Like these are literally three of the flakiest stars in league history, especially Kyrie and Simmons. So I'm not saying definitely I wouldn't bet on the positive outcome here, but the range of outcomes is so big that you have to be fascinated if you're an NBA fan. Yeah, or just don't bet in general and until I'm reading gambling ads during the season on air, guys. Um, no, I think, you know, you talk about best case, worst case scenario and the extremes for this team. Like worst case scenario is like Steve Nash quits 20 games into the season and, you know, Joe Sy's son takes over. You know, Kyrie <laughs> retires from basketball and decides to travel to the edge of the earth to, you know, finally find out the truth. You know, Kevin Durant has forced his way back to Golden State and Ben Simmons decides that he also doesn't want to play basketball anymore. Kyrie Irving like, becomes Herschel walker's campaign manager oh my god uh yeah 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 something like that but you know like in all in all honesty like you know the worst case scenario can be that and i think if you want to believe in the nets you have to separate the baggage that that you know has has come with this team you know ever since they formed this core group because if somebody just dropped you in you know in the middle of this start of the nba season and was like hey man this team's got kd Kyrie, and ben simmons and then you look at their their supporting cast. They've got Seth Curry, who's a perfect player, you know, within that group. You know, you've got Joe Harris. Although I'm gonna need to see a couple of good Joe Harris games in the playoffs. Uh, you know, uh, until then he's just Duncan Robinson to me. Um, and you know, Royce O'Neal and and all these guys. Like if you just looked at the roster, like on paper, and you know, many people have said this too. It's like, yeah, like they do have the talent to win 60 plus and make it to the playoffs. And like. Listen, I'm not coming up with new questions just because there's overlap. You know, for me, the, the way I kind of phrase the question similar to you is like, where do the Nets slot in in the Eastern Conference? Because, you know, when you look at projecting where teams are going to be, you know, that's the biggest wild card to me in, in the East. Because if they do take a top six spot, and I think they should just based on their talent, 
um, you know, then it's going to be trouble for a lot of teams like the Clevelands and Atlantas. And, you know, if you want to put Toronto in that mix too, if you're not that high on them, like one of those teams is going to get nudged into the play-in. Uh, but on the flip side, like you mentioned, I can see the Nets just come totally combusting. And, you know, you know, maybe two of the big three aren't even there by, by the end of the season. Yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, I think that's just such, it's just such a wild card, uh, you know, to think about this Nets team. And I think this is the ultimate test of vibes versus talent. Although the Phoenix Suns recently losing to the say, Adelaide 30, yeah. 36ers, yeah. Um, you know, is is another prime example. But it's like, if you are a true believer in like vibes and chemistry and all that stuff mattering, then, you know, your number one player, one of the best players in the league, openly asking for their general manager and coach to be fired and then coming back to the same team is the ultimate worst vibes that you can have. These guys were talking about divorce more than me on this show <laughs> during the first week of training camp. Like, how many divorce analogies do I have to hear from this Nets team? But at the same time, we've talked about how much talent there is on paper. I ultimately lean a little bit towards vibes. Winning fixes everything. If they get off to like a 15-3 and three start, we're not even going to be talking about any of this stuff anymore. But... I ultimately think there's just too much there for it all to come together. No, I completely agree. That's why I was like, I don't, I don't trust these three guys together. Um, the, the, the ceiling is obviously tantalizing and it's not impossible. They reach it, but I would not trust them. Yeah. I'd advise against trusting a best case scenario for a team consisting of Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons. And even like what Kevin Durant, unfortunately is just with age and injuries and stuff like as great as he is when he's on the court, uh, look at the games played the last two years. He's come since coming back from the Achilles injury. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair, and, that, and that's the that's why those offers were those trade offers dur- yeah. during the summer. Um, okay, so I'll go with the next one. I burn my I burn my Brooklyn Nets question as well. Cool. My, my next one kind of related to. Are the Bucks the favorite to win the East? Like, is it really just that simple to me? You know, when I sit down and think about all these contenders, you know, Miami made the conference finals, but it seems like a lot of people think they're going to, you know, take a step back. You know, the Philadelphia 76ers, once again, uh, getting a lot of buzz. You know, I was having a conversation with uh, James Herbert uh, of CBS Sports uh, the other day, just texting him. And I was like, I just don't get why the Sixers get so much coverage. When if you look at their, like, say, last 10 years or whatever, or even last five years, I would say, like, yo, if you pick a random team like the Portland Trailblazers, they've had more success, um, arguably, because they've been to a conference finals. Uh, but that's just uh, me being I, a the, one of the No, on that point, one of my favorite uh, kind of preseason stats I saw so far was, so everyone knows about, like, the Sacramento Kings and their NBA record playoff drought, right? Like, haven't mm-hmm. made the playoffs since 2004. Mm. simultaneously the sacramento kings have made the conference finals more recently than the philadelphia 76ers yeah and raptors fans will remember that season that was 2001 for the sixers yeah when when they had iverson and they beat vince carter and the raptors and then they beat the bucks and then they made the finals and lost to Shaq in five games yeah um kings Kings made the west finals in 02 so yeah that's it's yeah it's hilarious to think of the drought for philly yeah, how much coverage can Daryl Morey get, man? Like, like you know, enough is enough. He already got like a Shane Battier, you know, money ball type profile like 11 years ago. Uh, but yes, you know, back to the point, you know, you look at the Sixers, you know, the Celtics, you know, we know all the storylines that have been swirling around them. They still have a really talented team um, at the end of the day, if you're only talking about on court. But I look at Milwaukee and, you know, I look at Giannis and, and I know they didn't beat the Celtics. And, you know, the first thing people are going to point to is Chris, the Chris Middleton injury. Um, but like, I mean, Giannis was just such a dominant player and, you know, 
um, you know, I think he's kind of as much as you can get to consensus best player in the world status right now. Um, like if this team is fully healthy, like I don't think the roster took a step back. Um, I think it's still really hard to beat Giannis in a seven game series when teams are healthy. I almost put him at that LeBron Eastern conference when he was in the East level. Um, you know, are, are we just, are we just complicating things and, and not just, you know, should we just anoint the Bucks as the favorite to win the East coming into the season? I would peg them as a favorite. Look, I think, <clears throat> I think Boston has the best team on paper in the mm-hmm. East. I think you can make the argument they have the best team on paper league wide, but you know, you talked about the vibes thing and the Udoka stuff in Boston and like, I'm not going to say that's going to be the reason they don't achieve their goals this season, but it is like a pretty weird, ominous cloud hanging over the team to start the season with. And when there is so little separation between them and the Bucks, and it's like, well, one team's got Giannis and one team's got this really weird cloud hanging over them coming into the season, then I'll be like, ah, okay, then just give me the team with Giannis. So I would by a hair say Milwaukee's my Eastern Conference favorite right now. The one thing I'll say that I think not a lot of people are talking about, and I get it because they have Giannis locked up long-term, and that in its of itself, like you said, the LeBron factor, like that's going to give them a chance to win every year. But the one thing I will say is like, the Bucks are also kind of running out of years here in terms of like the, the construction around Giannis. Like Chris Middleton, um, you know, af- like so after this season, okay, you hope he's healthy, but then after this season, like he'll go into next season at 32. Drew, I think he'll be 33 or 34, and then you look at everything they had to give up to put themselves in a position where they won a championship and they have these guys. I'm not saying they shouldn't have done it because it obviously paid off, but it is what it is now. And like, they don't have a, I don't think they have control of their own first round pick till 2028. They can't trade a first rounder till 2029. You know, they're obviously got a lot of money committed to the, the team. So they're not exactly a team that's going to be looking at cap space to help them. They are going to be hard pressed to get, a different looking team than they've got right now, which is fine because they're contenders right now. But this specific supporting cast around Giannis, forget the contract stuff saying that they're here long-term, like is not necessarily built for sustainable success too deep into the future other than just the presence of Giannis. So I think they're the East favorites. I also think that uh, this might be their last chance to win with this core. Again, like maybe that's me being an alarmist and focusing too much on the age of Middleton and Drew Holiday. But I also think not enough other people are talking about that. That like with this specific team, I don't think they have too many more cracks, that they, like kicks at the can. And so I think they should take advantage of this year because it could after that start unraveling. Again, not completely unraveling. They're still going to have Giannis. They'll be fine. But for this specific core, I think it could start unraveling pretty quickly, like within a year or two. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And and I think the Bucks have and you know, all credit to them for for winning winning the championship a few years ago. You know, they earned that title. Um, but they also earned a grace period with that, right? Like like you know, yeah. the narratives change when you win that title because prior to that it was, you know, the the focus was on the roster construction or lack thereof of talent around Giannis. You know, the Drew Holiday trade was was obviously a home run for them. Um, but you look at this roster, like you're right. Like, you know, they're probably going to have to go through a transition period with Giannis, assuming he just stays there for the rest of his career um, over the next couple of years to kind of have to build this back up. And there's just like, you know, there's like, there's no such thing as like more than like, say, a three, four year window now in no, the not. NBA for any team like even no. if you've got the best player in the world right like that's why I think the Warriors are such a such a you know outlier 
in, in that they're able to lose, I think, like two, three bench contributors off their championship team and able to just bring in this next crop of like rookies and like second year, third year players that, that they've got like through the draft. Like it's really hard um, to do those things. Um, it's, it's funny, too. I'm, uh, you know, John Schumann uh, from NBA.com, um, you know, put out his annual uh, general manager survey where he asked 50 different questions to the gems. And, you know, uh, the, they 72% of them picked the Bucks to come out of the East. And forty three percent of them picked uh, the Bucks to to win it all. Um, so they're ranked number one in, in terms of uh, the voting in the survey. So they just have so like they have less questions, I think, than the other. Like mm-hmm. you know, would name your content. Like we already just talked about the cloud hanging over Boston, and then um, like a team like the Clippers, like oh, if Kawhi, like if Kawhi can play a whole season healthy, obviously. But there's a question there. The Nuggets with the guys coming back. They can win, but there's questions there. Um, Philly, we know there's questions. Like Brooklyn, we just talked about. I think the Bucks. obviously there's no such thing as a guarantee. But I think if you think of the teams that are the top tier contenders going into the season, the Bucks are going in with the fewest questions, right? And I think that they almost seem like maybe the championship favorite, if not the East favorite, just like by default in a way, because out of the teams we're talking about, they're just the ones we almost trust the most. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And, you know, I just want one time to see a Bucks sixers uh, playoff series. I just want to see the dynamics between those two teams um, in a best of seven. But that might require Philly to, to have to win two rounds. Uh, might be asking for too much. All right, Cash, what is your next uh, big question of the season? Okay, then that's a good uh, that's a good segue because I would say my next big question is, does James Harden get his swagger back? And, hmm. I mean, swagger's probably... Um, you know, an, an ignorant way to talk about it because at the end of the day, it's not about his swagger. It's about like the talent on the court and like what he still has left in his body. And like he doesn't need to be MVP level Harden anymore. And in fact, it's probably unfair to expect that of him given the stage of his career. But if he is just like something close to that, or even if he is just what he was that like first week or two when he got to Philly and what he looked like at his best in Brooklyn last year when the hamstring wasn't bothering him, then, as again, as much as we clown on the Sixers, they absolutely can win the title, like compete to win the title this year because him and Embiid and even, a, you know, Maxi coming up, like the team could be that good. But that, like, that's a big if, right? Like James Harden has to prove he can be that again because as we saw down the stretch last year, whether it was the hamstring or just his body in general starting to betray him at his age after all the minutes and the heavy burden on him over his career – he didn't have that first step anymore. Like he couldn't beat guys off the dribble consistently. And even if you just look at that series against the Raptors, it changed the way the Raptors guarded him. Like they no longer treated him like a superstar scorer by the scorer by the end of that series. They treated him like still a star playmaker and a dangerous player, but they did not have to guard him the way you used to have to guard James Harden. And if teams don't have to do that this season, then Philly's going to be hard-pressed to even get to the conference finals for the first time since 2001. But if Harden can get back to something even close to his best, they can absolutely win the title. So to me, that's a huge question, not just in the East, but league-wide. Yeah, and you know, you, you talk about windows too. Like, Joel Embiid's going to be 29 by the end of this season. I mean, that's still relatively young, but he's got years in the league. And James Harden is 33. And, you know, probably going to get another like $2 million in cash um, from from uh, Lil Baby or the Baby. Uh, I, I can't, you know, I haven't listened to any new hip hop since 1997, so I'm not sure. Um, but it's Lil Baby. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Because um, I think one of them is problematic. But anyways. The um, Baby's problematic. Oh, okay. 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 There we go. Um, but like, yeah, like 
at some point, it's like the window's also going to close on this team. Like outside of Tyrese Maxey, correct me if I'm wrong, there's not really another quote unquote like young blue chipper on that team where no. I'm like, okay, like this is going to be the next phase of, you know, the Sixers building around MB. And, you know, this is. This is, I guess, another tangent, but it's like at some point, like I want it to be on MB too. Like I know all all eyes are gonna be on James Harden, but it's like, you know, when's MB gonna have his like signature playoff moment aside from like doing an airplane in, in like a one game, you know, in a series that they lose? Like, um, you know, I think both of their playoff resumes are, are kind of on, on on the line here. And you know, let me just let me activate my Skip Bayless. It's like I love <laughs> I love hearing. Like, oh, there's so much positivity about the Sixers, which I don't really get because, yeah. it's just like, did they not, like, once again, like, you know, just have an embarrassing exit from the playoffs, you know, for the yeah. Sixers and for James Harden well, in the final game against Miami? To play Maury's advocate here. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> well, some would say his signature moment was the Game 3 buzzer beater against Toronto, but to your point... A player of Joel Embiid's stature's signature playoff moment should not be in game three of the first round. Exactly. Um, and I mean, I've said it like, look, Joel Embiid is an absolutely fantastic player. He's cool to talk to. Like, I don't doubt his talent. He has, especially the last couple of years, like he has really propped up a team that has led him down in a lot of ways. But as I've argued plenty of times too, there is a burden that comes with being the franchise player you know, on a team that is contending for championships. And as much as the team has let him down and the roster construction at times has let him down and Ben Simmons let him down and whoever has let him down, Joel Embiid at times has let his team down too in the playoffs. And, you know, whether it's Sixers fans or other people, like sometimes people don't want to admit it because it's like, well, how much more could he have done? It's like, well, there was a little more he could have done. Or like, I've talked about it too. I, I got to find the, the tweet now when I first put it up last year, but like his numbers and his efficiency and his turnovers, like if you look at him in just elimination games, when the Sixers' backs have been against the wall, are abysmal. Not just abysmal for a franchise player, they're abysmal. So it's like, I agree, he's pretty much done all he can do, and the team has let him down. And look, if the Sixers had done better around him, I understand the argument that he wouldn't have even been in the position to be in those elimination games. And like, I get all that. But... The fact of the matter is, when push has come to shove and the Sixers and his backs have been against the wall, he has not performed the way he usually does in 99% of the other games. So there is still something there for him to prove too, not just the team. Yeah, and, and you know that that passes the eye test. Like just watching Joel Embiid in the playoffs and watching him, you know, over the, over the years in in those crunch time games, like there's just very few moments that I remember. And you know, I hear about all the stats about how great the James Harden Joel Embiid pick and roll was. I'm like, well, James Harden still disappeared in the final playoff game of last season. And when he was asked why he, you know, didn't, you know, wasn't more aggressive, he's like, the ball didn't come to me. And, you know, Embiid at least, you know, ended the season not throwing another teammate under the bus um, and actually just asked for P.J. Tucker in his postgame presser and, and got P.J. Tucker on the team. But, you know, it's just like I'm so tired of this playbook like every year. And, you know, I think that's why they belong on this list. Like, you know, it's like put up or shut up for this team, man. Like, like they've tried to build this team around Embiid for so many years. And, you know, we've had this conversation about James Harden over and over again. Like, I just need to see it this year. Um, All right. I'm going to try to get through these ones. You know, my next one is, is this a transition year for the Lakers? 
Um, you know, they already got booed in their first preseason game. And, you know, I think they're actively trying to just get Russell Westbrook out of there. Um, please just get that deal done with the Indiana Pacers. Um, you know, it's 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 wild to think about this being a transition year with LeBron's age, but I just don't see a pathway to, for them to to contend this season. So maybe they just got to wait till next year. I mean, even waiting till next year, though, like, I don't really know what the path is. Like, Kyrie is going to travel to the edge of the earth and find Los Angeles. And he's okay, fair enough. No, no, I get yeah. that. But, um, again, do, even if that's the case, you're going to trust, like... How effective? Okay, I guess my big that, that question is then going to yeah. have to rely on Kyrie being consistently available and yeah. in the right frame of mind. Like, no. Yeah, Palenka's advocate over here. Um, do do you like, like, how much do you believe in a big three built around LeBron, AD, and another player at this point? Depends who that other player is. In all honesty, right. but yeah. I will say, and if you've listened to Pound the Rock, you've heard me say this plenty of times. <laughs> The Lakers were outscored. They lost the minutes that LeBron James and Anthony Davis were both on the court last season. Yeah, I feel like that says more about their supporting cast. It does. It does. For sure it does. But at the same time, a lot of people, myself included, went into last year saying, look, if those two guys are healthy, they'll be fine. Like, just like in the playoffs last year, like as bad as the supporting cast around them was, as much as it didn't make sense, as much as Rob Palinka is the biggest Fugazi in sports, all of that, (laughs) it, it... if those two guys are healthy, they'll find a way. They'll be fine. And that was not the case last year. Even when they were healthy and both on the court, they were not fine. They were mediocre at best. So it depends who that third guy is. And I would argue that Kyrie, though skills-wise, definitely would be a good third guy for them. Reliability-wise, would not be. And at this stage of their careers, LeBron and AD need a third star that not only fits talent-wise and like skill set-wise, but reliability-wise. Kyrie ain't that guy. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. You know, you know, LeBron's famously always said that Godfather trilogy is his favorite, um, you know, three films. Uh, he's definitely in his Godfather three era right now. But Oof. I think in the back of my Oof. head, though, there's always a fear of like a LeBron James team cannot be this bad. Uh, but then you look at the roster and you're like, wow, there's absolutely no pathway for for this team to to accomplish anything this season. All right, what's uh, what's your next uh, big question, Cash? Last point I want to make yes. is I think. LeBron and AD can play 70 games each. And I think the Lakers would still struggle to even win 45 games. Yeah. yeah That's how no. bad this team. Like, I, I think unless something drastically changes, they're a play-in team at best. Like, that, they are not a good team, straight up. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I think so. All right. Um, that was a crossover one, too. So that eliminates another one off mine. I've only got two left. I'll say my next one. And again, it comes, it's another like health related one or whatever, but it's all about Zion. It's like how many games, mm. minutes does he play and how healthy is he? Because, um, you know, another shameless plug if you do uh, watch the content on the Scores YouTube channel, one of my recent uh, episodes of Unfiltered, which airs every Friday, was all about the Pelicans and how. This isn't just a team that can like, oh, make some noise this year. Like the way they are now constructed and the identity they started to find last season, if you plug a healthy Zion into that lineup, that team is a straight up contender. And people might think that's ridiculous or roll the rise or be like, I need to believe it. Sure, you can say you need to believe it when you see it. That, that's exactly what this question's about is whether he'll be on the court. But I'm telling you right now, if this team is just what they were down the stretch of last season with McCollum now in the mix, the defense getting better. 
Um, with Ingram becoming the, the even the better playmaker he has, and you just insert Zion Williamson into that lineup, and Zion, what he was the last time we saw him healthy, that team can straight up contend, not just have a feel-good year, but play to contend this year. And so to me, that's a huge question because it is the difference between a team that could be a fringe contender and a team that could be fighting just to get in the plane again if he's not healthy. Yeah, no, yeah, and shouts to David Griffin, man. You know, yep. I, I feel like he's done a complete 180 there in New Orleans. You, you know, last year, um, coming into the year, you know, so many questions about the roster that he was building or not building around Zion. And, you know, by all reports, it, it seemed like the team didn't really have a good relationship with him as well. Um, you know, everybody's playing nice right now, and, and it seems like Zion is not just excited to get back on the court, but is excited about the potential of his team. Um, and I think he should be. And that leads to, to, I guess that leads to my next question, uh, which is a pretty broad one, but it's more just like who will be the surprise team um, in the league? Because I think this time of year when we're making preseason predictions, sure, we can be high on some teams uh, to take a leap, but I, I feel like usually our predictions kind of go chalk because like we just don't have enough information yet. And we go by what we saw, you know, from from previous seasons. And, you know, we, we, we go by, you know, what we think, you know, are good or bad off-season moves. But there's always a team or two that really surprises us, whether for the better or the worse. Um, and to me, the Pelicans is one of those teams. Yeah. Um, like, why can't they have a Dallas Mavericks-type season and be a top-four seed in the West, you know, if we're talking about best-case scenario? You know, I think that's in play for them. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, I, I think, think so. I think, I think there's a lot of, I don't know if turmoil is the right word, but, like, you know, like, I just think there's going to be a lot of shuffling at the top. Like, 100%. you look at the top two seeds last year, in, in the West, Phoenix and Memphis. Like, if you told me both those teams were going to be fighting just to be out of the play-in, I honestly would not be shocked. Um, I mean, I yo, Jared Jackson's going to miss some time to start the season, too, right. in Memphis. Like, they, yeah. Yeah, and, and like Dallas, I love Luka. And, and, you know, I predicted Dude. that Luka's going to win the MVP this season. Same. Um, but, like, I don't know. Maybe the Mavs take a step back. Because, you know, that roster well, I think isn't... they will. Yeah, it's not that, that roster, especially without Jalen Brunson, isn't really yep. blowing anyone over. To me, the most stable team, probably the Warriors. Um, and you know, you look at Utah, I'm just looking at the standings from last season, like Utah is, is obviously going to fall out uh, of the playoff mix. Um, and even Denver, a lot of question marks with Jamal Murray coming back. And then you got a team like Minnesota, um, you know, who might be in the mix, you know, Portland, I think wants to get in the mix, but ultimately yeah. I think that's like a 500 team. Yeah. I think um, Portland, but they will be a lot better than they were last year. Like the Blazers yeah. lost, Blazers lost 55 games last year. Yes. yes. They're going to so be I'm, a lot, even if you don't think they're going to be good, which I think they could be, they're going to be yeah. a hell of a lot better than 27 and 55. Yeah. So I'm trying to think who the surprise team is going to be. And honestly, I think I'm going to go with the Pelicans. Yep. You know, I think I'm just going to straight up say the Pelicans are going to finish top four in the West. I don't think that's yeah. wild. I, I mean, I said it on our last episode of Pound the Rock, too, that I thought, because um, we were talking in, in one conversation, we were talking about like the returns of Zion, Kawhi, and Jamal Murray. And I said in that conversation that if those three guys just come back anywhere near what they were the last time we saw them healthy, that their three teams, the Clippers, the Nuggets, uh, and the Pelicans, I thought would join Golden State in the top four in the West. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll burn my next one, too. I think the same one is, you know, on the other side of the coin, it's just like, which team is, is going to be, you know, heading for a downturn in, in terms of a surprise, right? And I think the clear favorite, and I've been saying this since the their Twitter account put out a statement apologizing for their 33-point Game 7 loss to the Mavs, is is the Phoenix Suns, you know, DeAndre Ayton saying that he didn't talk to, you know, Monty Williams all summer. Yeah. Uh, you know, Devin Booker already posting the iconic LeBron calling fans broke video after losing to the Adelaide 36ers. Yeah. Listen, Jay Crowder 
requesting a trade yeah. um, and has held out a training camp. Listen, man, like you can't foresee teams taking a downturn until it kind of just happens. Like life really comes at you fast in the NBA and the Suns won 64 games last year. They arguably went into the playoffs as the favorite to yep. win it all after coming off a finals appearance, completely just self-destructed uh, against the Mavs. And like all credit to Luca, like he had an incredible series, but like, I, I think this is too obvious also, at this point, but I think yeah. the Suns are heading for the downturn. 100%. Um, that was actually going to be my last question. It was going to be, do the Suns preseason vibes matter when the ball <laughs> tips for real? And I think it's hard to deny that they will because some of those, it, some of it isn't just vibes. Like you take a guy like Aiton, for example, and the turmoil there, the team didn't want to give him the full max. He ends up having to sign like the max. He can sign with another team with Indiana. Phoenix matches it. Now he can't be traded till January. Even when he can be traded, then for another six months after that, he actually has veto power because he re-signed via offer sheet. Like, that's the kind of thing where, okay, yeah, it's vibes, but that could, that's not just like, oh, a player, you know, two players don't get along or, oh, there's this cloud because of the server situation and selling the team. Like, that's the kind of thing that tangibly can be detrimental on the court if DeAndre Ayton is not only disgruntled, but straight up just doesn't want to be there and is like playing it out until he can be traded and is not really invested in even, forget long-term, but even what they do this season, that could translate to on the court. Um, so I think the, the vibes are going to carry over. Like I, I said it on the last episode of PTR, but like I've never seen a team look, I've never seen a good team, I should say, because they're bad teams. It's another, I've never seen a team that should be really good look so much like they want their season to be over before it's even begun. Like this version of the <laughs> yeah. Phoenix Suns and what they look like at media day. And even if you consider them losing to the Adelaide 36ers, yo, their five starters all played in that game and all played 20 plus minutes. This was not like, and okay, fine. Their starters actually all did okay. Like all five starters were plus 11. So it's not like their best five guys lost to the Australian team, but their best five guys also played 20 plus minutes in that game. And the team overall still lost. That's not exactly a good thing. The last team to lose to an international team was the 2015 Nets that ended up losing 61 games. But yeah, like it, it, it's not a good thing, you know, um, to be where they are. So like, okay, are they going to lose 61 games like the Nets team that lost to an international team? No. But are they going to win 64? Sure as hell not. And they're definitely on the downturn. Who knows if Aiden even finishes the year there or like what he looks like when the year is done. The, the, the vibes check is terrible but i think it's accurate for what's about to happen with their season i just i just i can't picture this team being galvanized and like competing for a championship it's not happening given given the vibes there yeah and i think there's just something permanently broken when you trail by 50 points at home in game seven of 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 a playoff game and and you know those things are just hard to recover from and like the vibe check for me is like, I didn't even mention the Robert Sarver stuff because like you said, even aside from that, there's already so many other distractions and more and most of those other ones are really tied to the on court yep. versus like what's happening in ownership and in the front office. Um, so we'll wrap up because you got to run. Uh, my, my very last one is just, is Kawhi Leonard going to re-enter the best player in the world conversation? Um, you know, for me, you know, I think I think a lot of people very high on the Clippers. Uh, I think coming into the season, I have them as my pick to 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 win the championship. Um, you know, Kawhi at best is probably going to only play like I want to say like sixty games during the regular season. Um, but but I think that healthy team. You know, we obviously didn't see Kawhi last year. You know, if he's able to come back, you know, I think people you know people didn't forget about Kawhi. But you know, he's definitely not in that 
same conversation as he did after winning the championship with the Raptors. You know, I think this could be the year that he re-enters that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And if he does and he's healthy going into the spring and him and PG are both healthy on a team that might be the deepest in the league, that team can absolutely win the title. I do remember uh, like 15 seconds ago, or like a minute ago, I was like, I don't remember what else I was going to say. It was that um, when I mentioned that the Suns, you know, like the last team to lose to an international team ended up losing 61 games. It was that, uh, you know, um, Coach Ham there for the Lakers had the quote about it not being about wins and uh, losses, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. but wisdom and, wisdom and lessons. And I know yeah. you love that. And it reminded me of, and I like, uh, I tweeted it with uh, the Soldier Boy uh, meme, but <laughs> how like Ty Lu should be saying that uh, Coach Ham stole, <laughs> oh, yeah. stole his flow word okay, for word, he did the bar wins for bar. Yeah, stole his flow word for word, bar for bar, because um, Ty Lu a few years ago, said that about the Cavs in the first year post-LeBron, that it was going to be about wins and lessons. He not said wins that and in losses. Toronto after yes. they got blown out on opening night after but LeBron the best left. Part, the best part about that was also that like a week before that, Tristan Thompson with zero self-awareness was like, nah. <laughs> the East runs the, through Cleveland. The East still runs through Cleveland. And within a week, his coach was like, actually, no, nah, this season's about wins and uh, lessons. And they ended up... But uh, what I was going to say is just like I compared the Suns to the last team to lose to an international team and how they ended up losing 61 games... The last team to go into a season saying it was about lessons, not losses, was the 2018-19 Cleveland Cavaliers, <laughs> and they lost 63 games. So just like losing to an international team is a bad harbinger of things to come for the Suns, uh, your coach talking about lessons instead of losses, very bad harbinger of things to come for the Lakers. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, one, one of my favorite stats about that Cavs team um, was, I believe Tyloo started 0-7 and, and got fired. Uh, and he was let go, um, and which means he ended the season with zero wins and seven lessons, um, <laughs> which is just like an all-time great record. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, no, um, you know, even I'm excited about basketball now to start. You know, after after talking to you on this pod, um, really appreciate you as always, Joe Cash. Uh, I know I know you got to run. You know, probably making um you know some sauce with your family or something like that something very important that's happening or potentially going to bamberg circle in scarborough um you know to, to order the wings at samu barbecue um, samu special yeah the samu special totally understand by the way recently where did we go for breakfast to a denny's oh my god and i got yeah. absolutely yeah. roasted yeah. for ordering t- mozzarella sticks as you should so morning after savelle's wedding who i'm I, you know everyone who listens to your banter pod knows all about uh the recap you did at savelle's wedding beautiful day for a beautiful couple anyway uh myself my girlfriend nicole who you refer to as the queen and you we stayed at a hotel nearby the hall so like that night we didn't have to uber all the way back downtown you know yeah, four star drive. hotel yeah, four yeah, star. yeah and the next day we went to breakfast at denny's and this guy, the guy who clowned me for ordering <laughs> wings that were literally called the special of the restaurant there, the wings that I recommended because I was, you know, born and raised, Scarborough, Bamberg, going to Samu forever. This guy clowned me for getting a menu item at a Chinese restaurant that wasn't authentic because it was the Samu special wings and has the gall in front of me to order mozzarella sticks at Denny's, <laughs> at Denny's for breakfast. Listen, man, there wasn't a Loblaws close by, man. What do you Jesus. what do you want me to do, man? Yeah, it was Jesus. funny. There's like there's like eight mozzarella sticks on that plate. You know, I took the first one. 
I took the second one. I took the third one. I took the fourth one. I'm like, oh, damn. Like, you know, neither of you are really going to eat this. So I ended up eating eight mozzarella sticks and also having a breakfast as well, uh, which which didn't really work out for me. But but shout out <laughs> to Mark Savelle. I'm hoping yeah. to make a trip to Zito's later this week. Heard the box of San Carlo chips that they owe, owe me is touching down damn. on Thursday. So, so I gotta might go got to make that pick up. But I know you got to run. Cash, let the people know again where they can find you and find your content, man. Uh, read all my feature work on the score app in the NBA section. Listen to myself and Joe Wolfond also writes features, uh, for the score NBA co-hosting the pound the rock NBA podcast one to two times a week and watch all of my, and the team's work on the scores YouTube channel. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. Or just check out the Raptor show. Once again, you can do one or the other, but not both. Um, you know, thanks again to cash. You know, uh, I will be back next week, actually. This is enough basketball talk for me. But I did promise, um, you know, the Raptors are playing the Boston Celtics in a preseason game uh, this week. If if the Raptors beat them by 20-plus and Malachi Flynn scores 20-plus points, I will, as some people have requested, do a, uh, a band. I will do a React pod. I, I will do uh, an imitation crab meat React pod where I, I pretend to be Will Lou. <laughs> and and talk about the game since uh you know a couple people think it would be hilarious if i did it uh it's only going to be like seven minutes man it's a preseason game come on um but if not i will talk to you next week got some other fun guests lined up as well and we'll be back on air october 17th uh shouts to joe cash look forward to having him in studio um you know because you know he's just a great face to look at on tv and uh that's about it man uh you know play play the outro music jr i'll see you guys later <laughs>